I'm just so, I'm pretty wound up actually. I've been uh, really digging deep into the prophetic word of the end times, the eschatology of, of all things. And my rabbi friend in Israel has been keeping me filled. I'm going to share a few things. of. Um, so this is part two of last week's sermon, um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to start with, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is spiritually? Do you know what time it is spiritually? That's a really important... Do you know what time it is spiritually? There's a lot of things going on, all the distractions, but the people of God need to know what time it is spiritually. There's this point where I shared last week out of Chronicles, who were the sons of Issachar? Somebody tell me. They had two points. Who were they, Mary Esther? They knew the time and the season, but, and secondly, they knew what to do. It's one thing, oh yeah, I know what time it is, but I got something to do. The sons of Issachar, Saul had just died due to his rebellion, King Saul. David is raised up as king. The mighty men are all coming. All the tribes are coming in with all their skills. And it says, there was a group of 200 leaders out of Issachar, the tribe, who knew what time it was. And they knew what Israel needed to do. I believe that's where we are spiritually. I talked last week about the spiritual time clock where we know that God lives outside of time, right? But He has got in His control center, He has a spiritual clock, the creation of man, the creation of all things, the, depart, the parting of the Red Sea, Moses, the deliverer who came. The salvation, the resurrection, these are all major clock points. If you were to have a major face of a clock, these are the parts that are in the control room in heaven where God says, these are the things in the kairos moments of time. And so Jesus went on and said, I don't know the day or the hour. So think of the hour, ta- the, the hour hand, the minute hand, and the second hand. He says, I don't know, even the angels don't know. I don't, the Son of God, this is a mystery to me. I'm in you, you're in me, we're together. John 17 says, right, I know every, the Father, I only do what He says I'm doing. But there are moments where He, even the, God the Father has kept that so secret, so revealing, but, says, but then Jesus went on, but you will know what, what season it is. When you see the tree start to blossom, the fig tree start to blossom, you know spring, summer is coming, right? So He says, don't you be ignorant of these things. In fact, we're going to look at this. I counted it this week, but if you look at, in Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the end. These will be the signs. He then verifies it again in Luke 21. We read that last week. We're going to read Mark 13 this week, the account, seven, almost eight times in 36 verses, Jesus says, watch out, stay alert, take heed. He is not stuttering. When you start to see any of these things start to happen, wake up, take heed, stay alert, look, the time is right. In fact, he says, I'm standing right at the door. So when we start to see any of these events start to happen, and some of them are so major, when you look at what another one on the clock was when I bring my people back, 1948. When I bring them from all the nations, they've been scattered. 1967, when I bring... The place where the Gentiles no longer control Jerusalem. There are things like this generation shall not pass from the scene when you see all these things take place. So what time is it? Spiritually, when we start to see these things coming. So when you look at the continuity, I've been laying out the continuity of the Old Testament and New Testament prophetic revelations of the eschatology. The, the continuity will absolutely blow your mind. You've got to be really, really uh, stupid. I'm sorry. I don't, you, not to be able to see the revelation of truth in these scriptures. And if he has all of these prophetic fulfillments already complete, why do you think the last few are not going to be true? And so what time is it? Well, let's, let's go ahead and let's look at. Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 13. 
I love the different accounts and how they correlate. And then we will go to Revelation chapter 1, but let's go to Mark's gospel. Jesus foretells the future. And each one between Matthew 24, Luke 21, and now in Mark's account, the consistency is there, but there is little insights that are a little different in each one. And you might want to go and just, like I've done in my Bible, I I like paper. I'm sorry. Call me old-fashioned. But you might want to just list and number the signs and underline them. And then ask yourself, which one of these do I believe has already been fulfilled or in process? Are you there? Mark chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus was leaving the temple on that day. One of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, Yes. Look at these great buildings. But they will be completely demolished and not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across from the valley of the temple. We've sat there. It's beautiful. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show that these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Could tick that one off. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains of more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You'll be handed over to the local councils, beaten in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must be preached in all the nations. You might be able to tick that one off right now. I think TBN has over 25, I've lost track of the number of satellites, but you can tune in almost anywhere in the world, I think even Antarctica now, and you can get the gospel. That didn't happen until this generation, by the way. But when you see, but when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what you will say, for God will tell you at that time, for it is not what you will be speaking, but by the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father betray his own child. The children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And anyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The day is coming when you will see a sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where it should not be. Reader, pay attention. It's in the book of Daniel, by the way. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down to the house and pack. A person out in the field must not return to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens the time of the calamity, not a single person would survive. But for the sake of the chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here he is in the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs, false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I have warned you ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. 
And he will send out his angels to gather the chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of earth to heaven. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear. My words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave all of his slaves instruction about the work they needed to do. He told the gatekeeper to keep watch as he would return. You must keep watch. You don't know when the master of the household will return in the eyes of the evening or the midnight or before dawn or daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping. When he arrives without warning, I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Now, can you picture yourself sitting in the Mount of Olives and getting that dissertation by the Lord himself and how they must have felt at that moment? It's like, this sounds pretty spooky. I told you last week, this is not a Hallmark movie, right? This thing is going to get really, really bad. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. And I love the fact that over 2,500 years, 66 books have been written by different authors. You know, if we were to start, you ever done that uh, telephone game or I guess where you start in, a, in one side and you, you whisper in the person's ear, by the time it gets to the end, it doesn't even sound the same. You ever done that one? It's like, we, it, it gets twisted, right? Because... Because why? Because every one of us brings a certain bias or a revelation to the word we just thought we heard. And we only pick up pieces of it. It's not that way with the scriptures. That's why in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. And so when you look at the consistency of these things, yes, there's mysteries. I, I asked you last week, or maybe Wednesday night, I forget. Why do you think God did not reveal the day or the hour? We would play until, oh, yeah, this is the day and the hour. Let me go to communion and get everything all squared away. No, it's going to happen that fast. Don't let it catch you unaware. So he knows human nature, right? He goes, yeah, I know you guys. If I told you, you'd, you wouldn't be serious about it, right? So he, he definitely allows it to be somewhat vague, but at the same point, he starts to bring revelation, right? The, the Spirit of God reveals he's the Spirit of truth, right? He tells us in John 14, 15, 16, when I go away, the Father's going to send the Spirit of truth who will lead you and guide you in all truth. He will reveal me to you and everything I've told you. So the more we're in the Holy Spirit, the more we're in the revelation of the Word, we start to get more and more understanding of, whoa. And that's what was going on. It's like, wow, God, especially when you start to see things that take place in the earth. Are you there? Let's look at Revelation 1.1. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Don't you love how this is like 2,000 years ago, but it's still soon going to happen. Remember in Peter where he says, a day is a thousand years with the Lord? So this is like two days ago, God told John, right? It's only been two days. And, you know, he, he's outside of time eternally. How, how long is eternity? <laughs> you know, so it's like, this is really going to happen really soon. It's only two days ago in God's, God's watch. He goes on, he says, he sent an angel 
to present the revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is the report of the word of the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses those who read the words of his prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen in the message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. That's Western Turkey. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. That sounds eternal. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. King James says, he has made us kings and priests. The New Living talks about the kingdom of the priesthood. First Peter 2, you are a royal priesthood, a nation. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Leave no doubt who's writing this revelation, right, to John. So when we look, take a look at your outline for a moment, and when we look at the revelation, what does the Scripture declare, even of itself here, one, it's a prophecy. Remember in verse 1-3 there, it says, this is the prophecy. God blesses those who read it, and it is the prophecy of the church, to the church. It is a seven letters to the seven churches. We started on Wednesday night. We'll pick this up again. These, the revelation of those seven churches, they actually exist in Western Turkey at the time. Many of the commentators believe it is the church ages through the last 2,000 years and where we are today. But it also represents the church. And what does the word of revelation do in this? It's, there's actually threefold purposes there. I've listed them in number two in your outline. The letters, one, they reveal serious deviation from the truth of righteousness. The seven churches, they had some stuff. Does any church, th this church has some stuff, right? We're not all... Uh, we haven't arrived. What Paul say, right? He says, I haven't arrived. I want to tell you I'm not perfect, but I keep pressing on towards the mark. So every church has got its stuff. And, uh, but he said, if you'll work towards correcting your stuff, you'll find yourself in preparation for what's coming. So it was a warning about the unrighteous things that they were doing, but it also was to give strength and inspiration for loyalty for Christ, even in the midst of death, and then it was to provide the believers of all generations, we are in the fierce battle. I love that song we did today. He is with us in the fire, and he's with us in the fiercest battles. If you are a uh, mid-tribber, post-tribber believer, which we'll get at in a minute, in the midst of the fire that's coming in the earth, we're going to really need him in that fire. So there's three points of this. It says he wants us to understand there's a fierce conflict, but the good news is we win. Now let's look at the dealing of the last things. In that dealing with last things, we just read, if you look at the scriptures in Matthew and Mark and Luke in Revelation, it deals with many things. One is there's a tribulation hour coming. We're going to look at the disappearance or the rapture, the taking away, the, up, the catching up of the church. We'll look at the second coming and the thousand-year millennial reign. We're going to do that in the next 35 minutes. Praise God. We're going to cover all that. Okay. So let's, uh, let's deal with the pre-tribulation rapture. Um, let me first categorize. There's at least four. Some list five different um, what they call tribulation rapture experiences. First of all, the word rapture is not in the Bible. But if you look at the Greek and the catching away here, it means to be caught up, to be taken out. And Paul deals with this multiple times in the Scriptures. Now, recognizing we have this Bible all put together, but the letters at that time were not assembled, right? 
Paul would write a letter to Thessalonica. He would write a, write, Peter would write a letter, 1 Peter, to his, his spiritual sons. And yet later, the council of Nicaea put it all together, prayed about what the conditions were, and this was the scriptures that were pulled together. And so when you look at the consistency, you know God breathed on it. Come on, he did. So let's look at first one, number four there. This is the pre-tribulation rapture. These are where all the believers are taken out, caught up before the great tribulation. The rapture and the second coming are separate events. Okay, let's turn now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There was this church plant that, that Paul had, and that church plant in Thessalonica, actually, he had to leave quickly with all the mess that was going on. A lot of places Paul went, there was either revival or riots would break out. Sometimes they were mixed, right? And so in Revelation, he sends this letter to the church at Thessalonica. Many of them, remember, he had come and he was teaching biblical principles to them. The New Testament had not been written yet. So it's, he is the walking gospel, right? So he comes in and he gets this message back from the pastor of the church at Thessalonica. says, they think everybody's already raptured out. We must have missed it. And Paul says, no, no wait a minute. Time out, guys. Let me, let me correct your thinking on this, okay? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in this letter, he writes this. Let's pick up in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to all the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15, you could underline this one. I tell you this directly from the Lord. This is not, I suppose. So Paul had a revelation, either face to face or a revelation from Christ himself. Paul, tell my churches the following things. Here's what he wrote. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever, so encourage each other with these words. Now, that's pretty supernatural. That's a pretty wild, and if you read, I think Milton told me this 24 Left Behind series books, he's read them all. If you, that's the essence of the Left Behind series, right? Where all of a sudden, you know, the people disappear and there's a pile of clothes. I don't know why they have to go up in your birthday suit, but I guess, anyway, it just is, I just, but it's, it's, a, it's good for drama, right? Because grandma's clothes are there. All that's left is grandma's clothes. And, and uh, she was a believer. So we look at that and we said, okay, let's turn now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Many years earlier, he writes this to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, this, by the way, is a really interesting chapter. You ought to meditate on 1 Corinthians 15 if you haven't done that recently. One, it's an amazing consolidation of all these, the resurrection from the dead, the resurrected body. It is the hope. He starts with, remember there was this debate. You had Jewish believers who were now coming in. So you had those from the Pharisee sect and those from the, the, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe there was a resurrection. Right? And so... So you had these, these Jewish believers coming in with their Old Testament theology, and there was all this confusion in the new church. And then you got the, the uh, Gentiles who've come in, and they don't know anything about the Old Testament. All they know is Jesus is the Christ. So Paul writes this. He says there was this debate about whether there is a resurrection after the dead. And he goes on. He says, I want to pass on to you what's most important. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 3. Christ died for our sins, as the Scripture said. He was buried, raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the Scripture said, 
He was seen by Peter, then the 12. Then he was seen by 500 eyewitnesses all at once. And then Paul says, I met him too. Paul meets him on the road to Damascus, right? Knocked flat. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? Blinded for three days. And then he sent Ananias, a servant, to go touch his hand. Scales fall off his eyes. And then Paul starts his journey. He's now recounting the fact, I saw him. And we know that Paul spent many years in pursuit of the spiritual things, right? So we know that he's telling us, he says, I saw him also. So there's the eyewitness. Then he goes, the resurrection of the dead. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we are our people most miserable. But since he was raised from the dead, you have this hope in you. Now he picks up. Now he goes even deeper. If you want to get your mind a little more blown, look at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, 35. Now someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? This is an awesome question. What a foolish question. <laughs> what? When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not a plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives the new body he wants to, it to have. A different plant grows from every kind of different seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One is human, another is animal, another is birds, another is fish. There are also bodies in heaven and also bodies on earth. The glory of heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, the moon has another, the stars have another. And even the stars differ from one another in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection from the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but then they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, and they will be raised in strength. They are buried in natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there is a natural body, there are spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last man, Adam, became the living spirit, Christ. Who, what comes first? The natural body and the spiritual body comes later. Adam was the first man made from the dust of the earth, while Christ was the second man made from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and the heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Let me reveal a wonderful secret, verse 51. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet blows, when the trumpet sounds and those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living also will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then we are, our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives its sin power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my brothers and sisters, be strong, immovable, work enthusiastically for the Lord. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Come on. So let's unpack that. Let's just say that the rapture happens this afternoon in the this afternoon in the middle of the Eagles game, okay? And all of a sudden, the pile of clothes are there, and you are transformed. Those who've already been in the grave, they're resurrected at the same time. And all of us, I guess maybe the reason we got to leave, there'll be so many rippling muscles that you know they just won't be able to fit those clothes anymore, right? I know, I'm imagining. You can only imagine, right? And so, the truth is, there's a moment. If you are a pre-tribulation rapture guy, gal, there's this place where it could happen right now. Guys like John Hagee and many others say, everything is ready. Everything is ready. It's the next thing on the agenda of the time clock in heaven. Well, let's look at some others who debate that. Look at mid-trib rapture. Number five there, 
This is where all believers are raptured after about 42 months. Daniel counts the days, the book of Daniel, 1260 days. In the midst of the seven-year tribulation, which we read last week in Matthew 24, the rapture and the second coming are actually separate events. And so it's like things are getting really, really bad. The place at that moment, God is about ready to pour out. If you, when we look at the book of Revelation, the bowls of wrath. When God pours out his wrath on the earth, the commentators who believe in the pre-trib, mid-trib, just before it gets really, really bad, the Lord, they say, the Father would not punish his children. He would take them out. Those who are ready would take them out. And so there's no revelation discussion in the book of Revelation of the church from Revelation 4 to 19. There's no, you, you go search it. I've tried. There's no discussion of the church. Yet he starts the, the study of the revelation to the revealing to the seven churches that represent all of the churches of time and the specific churches of that day. But they're not in the wrath discussion at all. That's what gives some ammunition to those, and we'll read in Revelation chapter 3 as a closing also. But it says here that those who believe in the mid-trib, it's just like before God says, I am just done with all this rebellion. The Antichrist has now been revealed on the scene. Take my church, take my kids home. Go gather them out of here. Those are the mid-tribbers. Okay, I can like that one too, right? Well, how about the post-tribulation rapture? Number six, all believers are raptured at the end of the great tribulation. The rapture and the second coming are the same event. In fact, this is the testing of all those who say they're believers. I don't really like this as much, right? But, um, hey, he tells us he'll provide a way out. Amen? In the fire, out of the fire, around the fire, he's there with us always. In, so we love that. How about the pre-tribulation partial rapture, number seven? Some of the commentators believe this. Only some believers will be raptured before the great tribulation. Those who are unready must be martyred to verify their faith. Whew. I don't like that one either. But some of them use scriptures like um, Matthew 25, right? The foolish virgins. The ten, remember your, the bridesmaids who have been invited to the wedding. I was doing this this morning with my grandson. I said, he had just gotten back from a, one of his aunts, got married in California recently. And they got an invitation inviting the family to come to the wedding. You've all been invited to the wedding. But some, he, Jesus uses one example. In another scripture, he says, when they went to the wedding, they were, everybody, we're all dressed up for weddings. Anybody ever wear coveralls? Unless it's a farm wedding. Um, but most of the time, you dress up. You get your hair done. Everybody does, right? But there was somebody in the wedding part, in the wedding, who was there in their old, ugly, dirty clothes, which was disrespectful to the feast of the wedding. He said, throw that guy out. He doesn't deserve to be here. We know that from Revelation 19. It says, the bride has made herself ready by the good deeds she's done, the clothing she wears, right? Have you ever seen a bride come in with torn white dress and mud all over it? That's not very respectful to the groom. So the, the bride has made herself ready by the good deeds that she has done. Revelation 19, we'll look at that in a moment. So here we see the partial rapture. Those who are not ready will be martyred. And you can see that the five that didn't have oil in their lamps. It could be that they had this relationship. We know from the church I read about the, the lukewarm church on Wednesday night. This was the church in Ephesus who was on fire. They were in revival. It turned the whole place upside down. They burned occult books. Oh, they estimate over $2 million of books from occult practices were gathered in the square and burned. You tell, that's got to be revival, right? In fact, it was impacting their, their livelihood on Princess Diana, on Diana and all of the worship of the goddess. And so... 25 years later, the church is addressed. It says, I have this against you. You don't love me like you did. And you don't love others like you did. 
That one really, of all, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the churches. Of all the ones that really grips my heart is to have the Lord say, you don't love me the same. When the greatest commandment is you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That one ought to really, when we consider our ways, we're in the midst of this 21-day fast. Consider your ways, Haggai said. Think of everything that's defiling or getting between you and the love relationship and do with it, deal with it. Let him have his way. That was the song word. So when we look at this second coming of Christ, let's turn here to Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation 19... Now, here is, the again, the mention of the church picks up again after all the wrath and all the stuff. And um, I, I tried to tally it up, but over half of the world population is destroyed during the tribulation. And so, that's, that's, a, that's a mess. That's a real mess. And so, we, we pick up here this song of a victory starts to be sung in heaven in Revelation 19. In verse 7, it says... Let us be glad and rejoice. So after all the stuff that was going on, okay, let's be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. His wife, King James says his wife, isn't that interesting, has made herself ready. New Living Translation says the, the word translation there is her bride. His bride has made herself ready. And he says unto me, write, blessed are those which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, and saith to them, these are the true sayings of God. New Living says, the, the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and the bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest, she's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Stay with me on this for a minute. Every time there's a righteous act that you do in the name of the Lord, there's a part of the garment that has been prepared. He says he gives it to the bride. So you're not dressing yourself up for the feast. You get ready. He presides. You know, have you ever been? I've planned a lot of weddings, done them too, right? Um, there's, there's this place where you all get generally the same. You got to color code. You got to get the right flavor, right theme, right? And it's, it's a big deal. It's wonderful. The Lord says, I'm planning. My, my father is planning this for me and my bride. And he's going to present the garment to you. But it's going to be... Now, just go with me. I know this might... Well, suppose I didn't do a lot of deeds. Don't have, I don't have socks or... I didn't get my bow tie? Well, I don't know. I just, hey, I'm just, hey, I don't know. I get a little wild on this stuff. But it's like if he's preparing and I'm the one who has the garment from the good deeds we've done, he says, and the angel said to me, verse 9, write this, blessed are those who are invited, invited, invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. And then I fell down and worshipped him. He said, don't worship me. Have faith in Christ. Worship God only. In the essence of prophecy, give a clear witness to Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is this spirit of prophecy. So here's this wedding feast preparation. But it's still, if you look at it, we're going to cover this in Wednesday night. There are things that are going on in the earth and there are things that are going on in the heavens. And now we know he's about ready to make great entry. Pick up, let's pick up in verse 11, the rider on the white horse. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened. I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True that judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. What is that? He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies were, of heaven were dressed in the finest of the pure white linen. There we go. 
followed him on the white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God. I looked up that word. It is the fierceness of the wrath of God. Absolute raging fierceness of God. The word's description on that is like, whoa. This is going to be a quick war. It's that shock and awe. You ever remember when we invaded, right? It was that shock and awe where like, man, there's going to be such shock and awe that's going to happen. The devil, is, this is going to be the shortest war. He defeats him with the breath of his mouth. Boom. He says, he will rule the, with an iron rod. He will re- release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like the juice that flows from a wine press. And on his robe and on his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King James says it this way. He says, he will rule them with a rod of iron and treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a distinction there. It's just a thought. <laughs> it says, on his vesture and on his thigh. What if he has a tattoo? Just a thought. I've preached against tattoos in the past. I told my kid, don't get those. But hey, you know what? He might have one. I just, you know, I think it was one of my grandchildren said, Papa, what do you do about that? I said, I don't know what I do about that. I'll just leave it. <laughs> okay? You talk to God about it. I'm not getting one, but that's, that's between you and the Lord. Okay, moving right along. That's just a side note. A little rabbit trail to raise up a little controversy. Okay, so it says... Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together, for a great banquet of God has been prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings and generals and strong warriors and the horses and the riders. Whew, that is, that is pretty mess. That is the entry point of the restoration of the bride who's made herself ready, who now comes down. So now we see, look at, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, this is a second letter written later to the church at Thessalonica. Look what he says now, and I, I, sh- I preached on this a few weeks ago, so about what's holding back the evil at the moment, and what's the debate on that? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the church? Is it godly government? Is it a combination? It's not clear, but we do see here, events that come prior to the second coming. So he writes another letter to the church and says, I want to clarify some things for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, let me clarify some things that are com- that about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he will be gathered, how we will be gathered to meet him. So obviously he must have raised some more questions from the first letter. He says, Don't be easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord's already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim they have some spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For the day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself, defy everything that the people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he is himself God. That's why this whole thing that we saw in November in Israel about the third temple and the preparation, all the materials of the temple are already assembled. They have the blueprints. They have everything. They are bent on building the third temple, okay? Don't you remember that I told you about this, verse 5, when I was with you and you know what what is holding him back for he can be revealed only when the time comes. For this lawlessness, it's already at work secretly and will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. That sounds like Revelation 19, the fierce wrath of God. He's going to absolutely destroy the natural side of this guy and his false prophet and all those that gathered against him. However, they scheme to put this, yeah, we're being invaded by aliens, and that must be that. Let's get all of it. Please. The man will 
come and do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception, every kind to fool those who are in the way of destruction, on their way to destruction, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies, and they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing in the truth. Do you see the consistency? One more scripture, maybe two. Turn with me back. Let's, t- let's look at Peter. Now, Peter, just before he goes to be martyred, writes Second Peter. In fact, it is his, just before his death by Nero, some believe in AD 68, he writes, the day of the Lord is coming. Second Peter 3, this is my second letter, verse 1, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, and they will follow their own desires. They will say, what happened in the promise that Jesus is coming again? For before time in our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of His command. He brought the earth out of the water, surrounded it with water. Then He used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and the, present, and the earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't, very, isn't slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. The earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day of God, hurrying it along on that day, He will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth as He has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. So, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives and pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved Paul has also wrote to you with the wisdom of God given to him, speaking of these things in his letters. Some of his comments, they're hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted the letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and they will result in their destruction. I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard. So you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. All glory to Him both now and forever. Do you see between the different churches at different times, the different apostles warning us, telling us, Jesus Himself, go ahead and look at the time in Matthew 24, Luke 21 and Matthew thir- and Mark 13, and you count the number of times Jesus says, watch out, take heed. When you see it, get ready, get ready, get ready. That ought to, I don't know about you, but when, when there's a warning, let me ask this. If, if we had a report that another major hurricane were coming, what do you do? You go fill up with gas, right? You get, because we, we might lose power. You get water, you get batteries, you get your flashlight, you get food, you get all those things, right? You figure out, okay, now, where is it coming and where do I ride the storm out, right? 
If you're on the barrier beaches, you better get out of here. They'll warn you in advance that there's a storm surge. It could be this, this, and this. And so it's up to us. What does Proverbs say? A prudent person sees the danger coming and makes preparation. Some of them say, well, I wish I had made better preparation. Hmm. So when Jesus, if the natural revelation of that says get ready, what do we need to do in the spirit realm? I'm serious. That, that ought to, it ought to p- p- apply a back pressure of the fear of the Lord. He warned you. He will be without excuse. Without, I didn't tell you. I didn't warn you in advance. So, one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's coming. Now, don't... I, I love how we started this service because that's a good counterbalance. Those who think the Lord is this mean judge that's coming to just punish everybody. That's not, that's not at all it. In fact... Let's look at Revelation 3. I, I read this last week, but I just, it's, a, it's a great hope for all of us. In Revelation chapter 3, as he's dealing with all the different churches, and he says in verse 10, Revelation 3.10, because you have obeyed my command whew, to persevere, there is a command of perseverance so he is telling us in the, in the wicked days, don't be like the world. Don't be like those in the world. Don't be like that, right? He says, because you've obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from, from. I looked that one up. It's like, King James says, I will keep you from the hour of temptation the great time of testing that will come on the whole world to test those who belong to this world. We don't belong to this world, right? We know that we, do, we are not citizens. He tells us, you're not of this world. You're very peculiar. You're a strange crowd. You believe this stuff. If you ever have a mocking spirit that you've debated with, you really believe that, Pastor? Absolutely. Remember where he said it's really hard to argue with a natural man's spiritual things? They'll th- he's a fool and they'll think you're foolish. He says, I believe it. I believe he can transform anything he wants to do. So he says, I will keep you from what's coming and test those who are in the world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it, and I will write them the name of my God. I will write on them the name of my God. Where does he do that? Wow. Let me, let me just take a moment to kind of close here. If you look at your outline, okay, pastor, so what? We didn't, if you look at the millennial lane, uh, reign in, in verse 1 through 6 of chapter 20, there's a thousand-year reign. After this, he destroys all of those who've come against him, he grabs hold of old Slewfoot and he throws him into the fiery pit and locks him down for a thousand years. I, I don't know. That's going to be pretty wild. They're going to say, is this the one who tormented everybody? This, this thing? I don't know. You get this picture. Maybe Gabriel's dragging this dude, you know, by his hair, puts him in, throws him in the pit, Right? And he locks them up for a thousand years. And they're all going, this is the one who made us so afraid, who made, who torment, is how, right? And he says, so there's a thousand year reign. I don't, I don't know why he lets them out again. Lord, have mercy. Keep that. He does. He says, after a thousand years, which by the way is only one day. It's like tomorrow, right? We're all with him now in heaven. Tomorrow he lets them out. I don't know why he does that. Uh, But anyway, he does, and he's wisdom, and I don't know why he does it. He's got a good plan. Okay, so what do we do now, and where are we in history? The kind of the so what, Pastor, what are we doing right now, and what is going on? I don't know if you saw this. Jim, if you would key up. I got some slides. I showed you briefly last week. I've added another one. Um, Well, let me, how many of you saw Fox News Friday night about the Wisconsin 
a company who has implanted their employees who can now get in the building with their chip that is embedded. It's the si- it's a piece of the size of a grain of rice, and it's installed between the thumb and the forefinger, and it shows them operating the lock at the building, and then they go to the vending machine and they buy their goodies. You want to look it up? Go ahead. It's this. The name of the company is uh, Three Square Market, and they've dis- they've they've created the technology of implanting a chip. Now we know that for identification of animals. You can go to right now probably to any of the the veterinarians in town and you can get your animal identified. So the technology is here for that. All right, Jim, let's show the the one, um, whichever one you got up first. There there you go. This week, I don't know if you saw it, this was last week. That's the Rouhani, the leader of Iran, Erdogan, the leader of Turkey, and of course you know Putin from Russia. They were getting together. If you know, we're pulling our troops out of Syria and all the hubbub that's going with that, right? And we're trying to protect some of our allies who are the Kurds who fight in the north. Well, they're enemies of Erdogan and Turkey. So they want to go in and completely destroy them. And we say, wait a minute, you can't destroy our allies. So there's this whole debate going on. So in the midst of all that, the president says, we're pulling our troops out. There's all this hubbub going on. So he sends Bolton, this uh, John Bolton, to the Middle East to meet with Israel first. Let's let Israel know, we're not abandoning you. We understand. And by the way, there's a whole lot more going on here than we know. If you look at what else is going on, my rabbi friends say they are building walls on the northern portion of Israel right along the Lebanese border. They've had one there before. But a few months ago, they found tunnels that Hezbollah has has burrowed. In fact, they have implanted cameras, they show it, of Hezbollah uh, uh, fighters in the tunnels. These tunnels are as wide as this here. You could move a whole troop through that thing under the wall into Israel. If they were to attack and launch their missiles against Israel one time, they could invade from the north, knock out the electrical grid, because these missiles that they have, over a thousand of them, have been supplied by guess who? And so... There's, they're now building a wall. Guess what? Walls work, by the way, right? And so they're building a wall there in the north, and they're all upset about it, and they're drilling into the... Di- Why? Because we're about ready to pull our troops out, and if you notice the targeted strikes that Israel's launching even last week against the uh, missile bases in Iran that have been supplied by Putin. So this whole thing, whatever's going on there, well, John Bolton goes to meet... Erdogan says, I won't even meet with you. I'll tell you, this unholy alliance is the Ezekiel alliance. You can go read that. We've preached on that before, and I'll probably touch on it this Wednesday maybe. So when we look at this, this alliance this week and then last week, just see the next page. This one is the one I told you about, that there, this place, is, it's going to become more and more evident that cash, we're headed to the cashless society. They're now passing laws. India has done this, and now Israel. That Israel's done, uh, India has done certain denominational funds, the larger bills, etc., the ones that they quote the drug trade and the, uh, the black market does. Well, Israel, I believe, is doing this for probably security reasons, but they, we are headed towards the cashless society. That sets the grounds. If you went to Harris Teeter, or wherever you shop, and you couldn't buy or sell unless you had the chip. Whew. Lord, we need to be raptured out. Or else we'll really be on a fast. Okay, show, show the next one. I got this this week. I told you, we read in, in Mark's gospel about the death, the, the violence against. The martyrdom that's going on right now in China and in Nigeria... Some of the African, if you look at what's going on, this is Christian persecution is expected to increase in 2019. And we knew it was when ISIS was there, but these articles, based on Release International celebrating its 50th anniversary, in Nigeria, the Fulani militants look to set, to continue devastating attacks against Christians in the north and central of Nigeria. In the first six months of 2018, over 6,000 were killed. 50,000 were driven from their homes. When we look at what's going on, this increase, 
throughout the earth. I won't list all the nations, but this persecution is real. And so if you don't think it's relevant, it says you're going to be killed for your faith. Well, it's already here. Many have paid that price. In fact, more have been martyred in this century than all the prior centuries. Just think about that. We don't, we don't think, we think of the lions and, you know, feeding the Christians to the, to the lions in the Colosseums, but this is happening today. All right, let me, let me try to end on a positive note. Number 11 there, what should we do? Well, the bride needs to make herself ready, and we need to obey and persevere in righteousness, because Jesus said, when you see these things, you can know it's even at the door, right at that place. Let's all stand. We're going to invite the ministry team, if you'll come, and also worship team, if we could just have some uh, music in the background. I think I would be remiss to, to speak of kind of a fire and brimstone message about what's coming and not offer if in the past myself I would I would be going through consider the things I want to be ready so if if there was going to be a disappearance of the church this afternoon are you ready are you ready now we know that he is the righteousness He's the one we confess our sins and we're, He's faithful to forgive us. And He declares us righteous, right? He tells us that in Romans 3, 4, and 5, chapter, probably at least 11 times. I have made you, you are the righteousness of Christ by faith in Him, by the blood that He shed on the cross. And it's not by any of our works. Yes, there are works, but we know He says it's by grace that you've been saved. But once you have been graced, you ought to be dragging a work cart with a towel and bandages in it. Because you know the truth and you want to help as many to come to find out what you now know. And if the love of many has now grown cold or you have left your first love, I'm inviting you to come and pray with one of our prayer ministers here. So if you're here this morning and I just, I want to just make sure I'm ready. I don't, I don't want you to walk in condemnation or fear that is uh, a gripping fear, but there is a fear of the Lord that says He's coming. He's warned us in advance what He's going to do. And He's saying, get ready, get ready, watch out, take heed. Why? Because He loves you. And He wants you to be ready, take heed. Come on, watch out. That's, so it's kind of like the parent telling the child, watch out, watch out, watch out. But the child's got to make that decision for themselves. So, I just want to invite you to come and if there's anything that's standing between you and that revelation of the peace that passes all understanding, some defilement or some trap or some addiction or some unforgiveness or some, it just, he says, forgiven, you'll be forgiven. So Lord, I just thank you for your word that is empowering and enlightening and frightening and full of sobering truth that cuts us. It says it, the word is full of power that cuts right between the soul, the mind, the will, and our emotional things, and it reveals the spirit because he's after people that will worship him in spirit and truth. And that's what we want to be, God. We, we realize how much of a trouble we would be in without you. So he invites us to come and find that place. So just come and be like John on that night before he was betrayed. John laid his head on his breast. It's a picture of Jesus and all of what was about to take place still was able to comfort the disciple who loved him. So, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I ask you to bless every family. Let me close by reading one of Jesus' brother's letters he closes, Jude. I love this because he's able to keep us from falling 
He is able. I like that. We, we, we persevere, but we just meet him half of that distance, and then he perseveres to take us the rest of the way. Jude 20 says, Friends, dear friends, build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ will bring you to eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering, but rescue others by snatching them from the flames of the judgment. Show mercy still to the others, but do it with great caution. Hate the sin that contaminates their lives. Now, all glory to God who's able to keep you from falling and will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. Boy, that's good news. All glory to Him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory and majesty and power and authority are His before all time, at the present and beyond all time. Amen. Blessings. We bless you. We'll see you if you're here Wednesday night. Be God bless you all. Thank you. Have a good day.